Luke chapter 5, page 1598 in your New Testaments. We're picking up the story in verse 12 and reading about two healings. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to, alone, to lonely places and prayed. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, and he tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what, had been, what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. The word of the Lord. What's interesting to me about this particular passage before I begin it is in 1978 was my first preaching assignment for a class at seminary, and it was this text, 1978. So I look back at that sermon in 1978. My voice has changed a little bit. I did very well, by the way, but my voice has changed a little bit over those years. But I mentioned it to a number of, of you who have known this, that when I went through university and when I started seminary, I knew I was going to become a pastor, but the idea of standing in front of people talking, that wasn't part of my thinking. I didn't know how I would ever do that because I was scared silly, so I skipped every speech class in university and did it only during the summers where there were only two or three people in the room, and then it, that, even that was scary to me. And then I was supposed to preach on Luke 5. And I did. And I like to think that somehow the Lord used that and confirmed that which I'm supposed to be doing uh, through this particular passage and through 
the healing power of the Lord, so, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So there you go, just a little background story to this. It's a great passage, and there's a lot of things that we could say about this. But after celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, this is the season in which the church traditionally turns its attention to the question of who Jesus is. This one heralded by angels and shepherds and magi, who is he? What's so special about him? What's his mission? Why did he come? Why is he worth following? The Bible tells us that Satan knows exactly who Jesus is and shudders. We've already heard that in the Gospel of Luke when we heard about the temptation of Jesus as Pastor Amanda preached about last Sunday. The devil was fully aware that this child of Mary was the very one who would end up destroying him. And therefore the constant challenges to knock Jesus off his game, so to speak. Bow before me. Worship me, and all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. And then even as Jesus was confronted by an evil spirit in chapter 4, verse 31, and following the truth of who Jesus is, was loudly and clearly proclaimed. The possessed man cries at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Satan sees it. He knows it. The people in Nazareth didn't see it that way. Upon meeting Jesus and listening to his proclamation that he was for the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, look at chapter 4, verse 28. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke records that the people were furious and drove him out of town in order to throw him off a cliff. Who does this carpenter's son, Joseph's son, think he is anyway? Away with him. Kill him. But Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I often wonder what that looked like. Jesus had a mission to perform, and no devil, no crowd would be able to stop him. And so Jesus continued to teach in the synagogue and he healed many people. And as he did so, in spite of what the people may have thought of him in his hometown, yet, yet Luke records in chapter 4, verse 31, the people were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. There was something about this Jesus that caught their attention. This was not just someone with opinions. This was not someone just with some new ideas. This wasn't some dried up scribe or teacher of the law trying to say a few things about Old Testament things. But this was someone with a presence. This was someone who spoke with the power of God himself. This was someone who could back up his words with all kinds of actions. And so all of that brings us to the passage you read this morning and the stories of the two healings, a man afflicted with leprosy 
and a man who was paralyzed, meaning he was unable to walk because of some sort of spinal injury or having been born with spina bifida or something like that. Whatever was the case, this man's legs didn't work. He was unable to propel himself anywhere. But after he met Jesus, that was no problem. He could walk again. Both of the healings as recorded here in Luke were simply amazing, simply astounding, extraordinary, worth talking about. Both miracles were the fulfillment of what Jesus had taught in the synagogue in Nazareth. What Jesus had said there in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, he fulfilled, he actually carried out. But even as we look at the story of two people who were healed, here's what we ought not to miss. For the heart of this passage are not just two miraculous healings. At the heart of this passage is a testimony as to who Jesus is. Jesus himself makes that clear in verse 24. These are two stories that speak clearly about what he had been born to do. Namely, forgive people their sins. And the only one who can do that is God himself. And therefore, these two miracles clearly proclaim that Jesus is none other than God. If you have your Bibles open, you'll to the passage, note the structure of each of the two stories. Each begins with a story of the healing followed by some sort of teaching or some sort of consequence. And then in the middle of those two stories is verse 16, kind of almost chucked in the middle of it all, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed in order to carry out his ministry in accordance with the will of his heavenly father Jesus spent much time in prayer with the father Jesus communed on a regular basis with his father stepping away from the crowds and the noise many have drawn life lessons from that as Jesus set time aside to commune with his father in heaven for strength and encouragement so perhaps we also ought to withdraw on a regular basis and spend time with our Father in heaven. Perhaps not a bad plan. Anyway, consider the first story, Luke 5, 12 through 15. One day while Jesus was in an unnamed town in Galilee, a man approached him. The man was covered with or full of leprosy. Actually, the term used to describe this man is one that we used for a host of skin diseases. Remember, Luke was trained as a medical doctor, so Luke makes the observation that here was someone who did not merely have some minor skin condition. Here was someone in physical trouble with a disease in its worst state. It's like stage four cancer. The situation was that no one could do anything for this person. He was, humanly speaking, a hopeless case. And someone in this particular situation, someone with such a disease, was required to be separated from the general population. They had to be quarantined. 
According to Levitical law, Leviticus 13, someone with a skin disease, whether that be leprosy or some other skin condition, had to live outside of the populated areas and away from most people. And as they lived away from other people, whatever they would, or whenever people came near them or they came near others, they were required to call out the warning, unclean, unclean, don't come near, I'm unclean sinner. In effect, lepers with, and others with various skin diseases were virtually considered dead people. And as such dead people, they were very much aware of their hopeless and lost condition because they constantly had to make that clear. I'm unclean. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. Don't get what I have. It makes me think of when AIDS first hit the news. No one dared touch or even come near those affected. And those with AIDS were very much aware of their lost and seemingly hopeless condition. How terrible it must be to find yourself in such a state. Now, what's fascinating about the leper is that he seems to break all the, the Levitical quarantine rules because he entered the town in order to meet Jesus. That was against the rules. But he was aware, apparently, that this new teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, was his only hope in life, his only source of a cure, of healing, of salvation. Obviously, the priests couldn't heal him. The doctors couldn't heal him. But somehow, by faith, the leper came to be convinced that this Jesus was able to heal him. But then do you, know, do you notice what he did? It's fascinating how he approaches Jesus. He knows that he needs Jesus. He knows that only Jesus can cure him, but he doesn't directly ask Jesus to do that. Instead, he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He makes a statement. With great faith, he throws himself on God's mercy. I know that if you want to, you can make me clean. If you want to. He recognizes that God is sovereign and therefore the approach to the Lord as he does. And then Jesus does something that would have made every Jewish mouth drop. <gasps> he stretched out his hand and he laid hold of her. He touched the leper, he knew that that leper was no health risk to him. But every Jew understood that doing so would make him ceremonially unclean, which, which meant that they were considered unholy and they were then not fit to worship the Lord. And in order to become clean, they would have to go to the priest and they would have to undergo various rituals and they would have to undergo sacrifices and a whole process in order to be declared clean again. And having been raised with the Old Testament, they would understand that you didn't want to become unclean. And so as Jesus is reaching out to the man, you could almost kind of hear the crowd, the people, no, 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 no don't do that, don't touch him. You become unclean. But this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus stretched out his hand. He laid of the, a hold of the man and he said, I am willing. Be clean. 
And in the process, Jesus does not become unclean, but the man becomes clean as the leprosy left him. Hallelujah, what a savior. As one author wrote, what is Luke telling us? Jesus can do what no priest can do. A priest would have been instantaneously declared unclean by this action, not Jesus. A priest cannot cleanse a man. Jesus, on the other hand, can make this man clean. And in drawing attention to cleanness and uncleanness, Jesus is drawing attention to the forgiveness of sins, which is why he came. That brings us to the next story, Luke 5, verse 17 and following. After the healing of someone like a leper and others, because you read about other cleansings and other healings earlier, Jesus had built up quite the reputation as a rabbi in the land. He was quite the rabbi. And Mark tells us that people were amazed at his teaching for his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the teachers of the law. This rabbi was different. This rabbi had authority. This rabbi had power. This rabbi, he was quite something. So it's no wonder that the house in which Jesus was speaking was filled to overflowing with people. And then we read that religious leaders from all over Galilee, and it appears representing the different orders of religious leaders, were present as well. Jesus was becoming a threat to them, and, and they wanted to see firsthand what this rabbi was all about. And so they had come to listen to him. They had come to pass judgment onto him. And, and if they didn't like what they were hearing, then perhaps to plot a course of action to remove the one who was such a threat to them. And notice that I mentioned it when I had the children up front here too. In, notice that Luke adds a, a little detail about the religious leaders sitting in the room. In a packed house, one would expect that everyone would perhaps be standing, allowing for a whole lot more room. But since the sitting position was one that reflected authority, and a teacher in those days always sat to teach, the fact that the religious leaders were sitting was, I suppose, some quiet way of them telling Jesus that they didn't really accept his authority as a teacher. And in their sitting there, that took a lot of room. And therefore, when the friends arrived with the paralyzed man, the only solution to get him to Jesus was to dig a hole in the thatched roof and then lower him on ropes on his little mat, or however that was, into the room in front of Jesus. It must have been comical. I mean, this has got to be funny if you think about this, especially to see the looks on the faces of the people as the man is lowered into the room in front of Jesus. Mark tells us that the friends of the paralyzed man dug through the roof in chapter 2, verse 4. So you can imagine that the, 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 it was probably a muddy roof or a dirt ceiling or whatever, and the dirt must have rained down on all those prim and proper religious leaders sitting there on the floor thinking that they had so much authority and now all this junk comes down on their heads. They probably had to dust themselves off, probably with very little joy. And there was the paralyzed man, right in the middle of the crowd, right in the middle of the room. 
While the people in Nazareth had rejected Jesus' words about his being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, these friends of the paralyzed man, much like the leper of the previous story, remembered what Jesus had said and believed. Jesus was the only hope these people had. No doctor, no priest, no religious leader could heal, but Jesus could. And so they brought him to Jesus, and then they went to extraordinary lengths to make sure he got to where Jesus was. And then nowhere is it said that there was any sort of request made of Jesus. It's not like they yelled down through the hole, by the way, Jesus, we're here to, so that you can cure him. Or Lord, please, please cure me. Nowhere does it say that any sort of request was made. Jesus, seeing the man, simply acted. And all three of the Gospels report virtually the same response on the part of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. you imagine the faces of the people in the room at that point a paralyzed man is lying in their midst your sins are forgiven big deal that's not why the man came and why the friends lowered the man through the ceiling in the first place Jesus had been the miracle worker that's what they were after your sins are forgiven really Perhaps the man on the mat, as well as his friends, may have initially considered such a statement to be a, a letdown because they had made such an effort to get to Jesus and the owner of the house was probably going to charge them for the roof. And now nothing happened except there was a statement about sins being forgiven. Such a statement must have especially taken the religious leaders by surprise. And their thoughts were not unknown to Jesus. Like, who is this man? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth anyway? Who does he think he is? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy. A very serious offense was something someone could be accused of if they somehow violated God in some way. Blasphemy in the Bible is punishable by death. Blasphemy is ultimately what condemned Jesus to death. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Here Jesus was proclaiming to be God. Here Jesus was fulfilling what he had spoken of in the synagogue in Nazareth. With authority and no hesitation, Jesus saw beyond the paralyzed body of the man in front of him and saw a sinner in need of sins. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Who does this man think he is? Where does he get his authority? And it's always been interesting to me that the religious leaders don't seem in the least concerned or moved by the man in his situation. All they're concerned about is the rightness or wrongness of Jesus. But Jesus was not done. He addressed the religious leaders seated in the room. And maybe by now they were standing, shaking the dirt off their robes. Anyway, Jesus addressed, addressed their questioning thoughts. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Must have taken them by surprise. 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, of course, all of us know, and everybody in that room knew, that it was, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's nothing to see, nothing happens. There's no visible evidence that one's sins are indeed forgiven. And so it's easy to, it's easy to say to everybody, your sins are forgiven. See, nothing happened. Your sins are forgiven. That's easy. But to have a paralyzed person get off a mat and walk again, that's very difficult. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, and there's that word authority again, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And we can be sure that all the eyes of the house were on the man on the mat. How would these words of Jesus be responded to? And Dr. Luke would also have been very interested in the response of the paralyzed man. I know a number of people who are paralyzed. And to have them stand on their feet and walk would indeed be a miracle. No amount of positive thinking or putting their mind to it or anything of the sort will get them to stand. You know, we're told that all the time. If you put your mind to it, you can do whatever you want. I have a brother sitting in a wheelchair. He can put his mind to walking. He will never walk on this earth. We know that. It's baloney. Yes, you can do a lot of things, but not everything is possible. It indeed would be a miracle if they could walk, perhaps for the first time. So what was about to happen? Everybody must have wondered. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. It's no wonder that Luke records that everyone was amazed and filled with awe. Surely the healed man, like the leper, must have leapt for joy. And maybe he took his mat and he stuffed it in the nearest trash can. From a life of insignificance and virtual death, from a life of unclean to a life of health and spiritual cleansing at the hands of the Messiah. And you can just imagine the conversations that must have flowed from the people in the crowd who just witnessed this extraordinary event. Everyone was amazed. Everyone was filled with awe. At the same time, even though we're not told how they responded, the religious leaders must have closed, must have been closed mouth about what they saw. Perhaps it made their resolve to get rid of Jesus all the harder because Jesus showed them up again. And Luke later tells us that they talked together about how to get rid of him, this man who claimed such authority and who challenged them to the very core of their being. The angel Gabriel came to deliver a message to a young woman by the name of Mary, and this was his message. You'll be with child, you'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated 
Mary had her son, heralded by shepherds, angels, and magi. Then later on, Simeon and Anna both give thanks to God that he allowed them to live to see the promised Messiah. John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of Jesus and baptized him. And when the devil tried to stop Jesus during the time in the wilderness, by tempting him, Jesus overcame him. In the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus opened the scroll of, to the prophecies of Isaiah and read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing in me. And now as we read about the leper and the paralyzed man, we see Jesus fulfilling what he read in Isaiah. He, feel, he healed not only the physical body, but far more important than physical healing, he granted spiritual healing. Not that long ago, my oldest sister died of cancer. I remember talking with her somewhere along her journey when people were constantly praying that she would be healed, but she wasn't cured. She was healed, but not cured. And she made that distinction between healing and curing, which became an interesting distinction for me. When we pray for someone to be healed, we often think of the fact that they should be cured from their illness. That doesn't always happen. We know that. But healing in Christ always happens. Your sins are forgiven. He forgives sins. He has the authority and the power to do that because he is God. After celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, this is the season in which the church traditionally turns its attention to the question of who Jesus is. This one heralded by angels and shepherds and magi, who is he? What's so special about him? How do you answer, O you who are preparing to make profession of faith or thinking about it? How do you answer, you who gather at student impact or in community groups or at the Vine discussion later today or at Faith and Hops? How do you answer that question, you sitting in the pew? The Bible testifies that he is Lord. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh walking among us, reaching out to us, touching us who are unclean, unclean because of sin and unable to save ourselves. That's his mission. He came to us. He touches us. He heals us. Doesn't always cure us, but he heals us us hallelujah what a savior amen pray with me oh lord we praise you for who you are thank you emmanuel that you walk among us that you reach out and touch us and hold us in spite of the fact that we're unclean and you don't become unclean by that but we become clean to you 
be the glory. Thank you, Lord, for these stories. Thank you for the gospel. Stories that point us so clearly to who Jesus is, the Lord, the giver of life, the healer of all and the forgiver of all our sins. We praise you and we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.